Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, October 29th. Only two more days until Halloween. Have you picked out your costume yet? On today's episode of the Roundup, we're going to talk about healthcare administrative costs, which are pretty frightening themselves. Previously published research says administrative costs represent more than one third of all healthcare spending in the US. Another study says administrative complexity adds nearly $300 billion to our annual healthcare tab. So today on the Roundup, we're going to talk about a new report from McKinsey and discussed in JAMA that breaks down healthcare administrative spending by type and claims to know how to cut administrative spending in those areas by a total of $265 billion a year. That would buy a lot of primary care. To tell us what they think of the new report and what it means for the industry are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm up bright and early and raring to go. I know I'm going to get that worm this morning. All right. That's confidence. Julie, how about you? I've been on the road again for a second week in a row, and I got to say, it's fun to be back out there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we've all been traveling lately. It is nice to see people in person. Now, before we talk about this new report on administrative costs, let's talk about your Halloween plans. Dave, are you dressing up and or handing out candy this year? I'm working the problem, Dave. I'm thinking about going as a healthcare revolutionary, but that wouldn't require much of a disguise. So what's a foresighter to do? <laughs> well, you could hand out books, maybe, right? That, <laughs> there you go. That would really work. perplex the kids, right? Julie, how about you? What are your Halloween plans? Well, I'm at that stage where we have a house that's not very Halloween friendly. So we're not going to be handing out candy, I don't think. But I have a 12-year-old who thinks she's 18. So I have to figure out how to follow her without her knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. Last year, we built this long candy chute that sent a piece of candy from our second floor window and down, up, and then into a kid's candy bucket. Uh, That was a pretty cool, no-contact way of doing it. But this year, I think we'll just toss candy to the kids from our front porch, nothing too elaborate. But I am going to have pumpkins with masks on, though, to send a message to all my vaccine-hesitant and mask-resistant neighbors, though. Now, come on, people. Get it together. (laughs) I'm coming to your house, Dave. I I want a Halloween mask. Yeah, I'll I'll take a picture and send it to you guys. Well, assuming they don't smash the pumpkins, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about this report from McKinsey and discussed in JAMA. The report broke down healthcare administrative spending into five areas. Financial transactions like revenue cycle, industry agnostic corporate functions like finance and human resources, industry-specific operational functions like quality reporting and accreditation, customer and patient services like call centers and other self-serve functions, and administrative clinical support functions like nursing administration and case management. Then in each of those five areas, the report identified three types of interventions to reduce costs within or within one organization, between or between two or more organizations, and seismic or across the entire healthcare system. And if you do all that, you can shave $265 billion from our collective healthcare bill. 
Dave, are any of the five targets richer than the others? And are any of the three interventions better than the others? Last week, while still experiencing the euphoria of attending the health conference, Dave, you suggested that my glass was half full. And indeed, it was. After reading the McKinsey report, my glass is back to half empty. Even worse, it's filled with arsenic. Whenever I read these types of analyses, my head just wants to explode because of all the complexity the healthcare is loaded into its documentation and billing processes. I don't begrudge McKinsey for digging into healthcare's administrative mess and making suggestions for improving it. At the same time, the focus on administrative costs misses the forest for the trees. It reminds me of France's scramble before World War II to complete the Maginot Line to forestall a German invasion. The Maginot Line held, but it didn't save Paris. German tanks went around the impregnable line and attacked France through Belgium and the Netherlands. The French government capitulated to the Nazis just six weeks after the initial invasion. So focusing on improving the administrative function of fee-for-service medicine, this is a much bigger strategic threat confronting industry incumbents. And that's the value-driven business models will overwhelm expensive, inefficient, and often ineffective business practices. McKinsey makes the point that instituting these reforms won't compromise the ability of industry incumbents to maintain their status quo business practices. What if, however, it's those practices that are the problem? Administrative improvements can make incumbents more efficient, but they won't make them more effective. Getting better at digging holes and filling them with rocks doesn't really accomplish very much. So this is what management guru Peter Drucker was getting at when he differentiated between doing things right and doing the right thing. The truth is that embracing pricing transparency and full risk contracting, bundles for episodic care and capitation for pop health, will do far more to streamline administrative complexity than any of the McKinsey recommendations. At the same time, $265 billion in savings isn't anything to sneeze at. If fully realized, it would reduce spending by $1,300 for each American adult. That's a lot of money. I also was struck that the institutions can achieve two-thirds of the potential savings through individual within, quote, initiatives using automation, better analytics, more definitional clarity, better automated intelligence. I also believe that better integration of business and clinical systems can reduce administrative complexity, improve outcomes. McKinsey didn't really dig into this rich vein of opportunity. An example would be using location services to both improve scheduling and cost accounting. So much can happen with the right goals, and you've heard them before. Better outcomes, lower cost, and enhanced customer experience. That's where we should put our attention. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So uh, the report shoots and misses. Julie, what are your takeaways from the report? Do you like the targets? Do you like the interventions? More importantly, would any of this work? <laughs> well, I'm going to try something new, and I'm going to disagree with Dave. We'll see how it goes. What this report does well is break down part of the problem into its bite-sized pieces, which I like because there's a lot of grandiose thinking that has gone on in the last couple of decades, right? And in doing so, it makes things like large-scale interoperability look more like a pipe dream or some sort of long-term vision than a near-term reality, which frankly, I think is helpful to really get us focused on some of the low-hanging fruit. And I can't say that I love the report for all the reasons they've articulated, but I'll tell you some things I liked about it. I like the fact that 
it thinks we can find $175 million savings alone within the four walls that a CEO of an organization can control. And that's an important statement because there's so much hiding behind the inability to work with others across lines. So, you know, if you think about the back office automation and the front of the house kind of automation customer service approaches, there's a ton of industry agnostic concepts that really could work. So, you know, it talks about things like promoting operational excellence. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, no, duh, of course we need to be doing that. But it's very hard. And it talks about some industry agnostic ways of doing so and some industry specific ways of doing so. And, you know, I think there's a lot there that this industry has explored, but not fully. Then there's some really specific things like prior auth, sunsetting old ways of prior auth and digitalizing new ways of pre-screening prior auth and increasing the proportion of automated prior auth. There's a lot there that could be quite useful. We work with a company that digitalizes the manual, administrative, highly repetitive actions and activities in billing and creates what they call smart services or technology-enabled services that are driven by some sort of AI analytics approach. There's a lot of people in a lot of basements punching the same button minute after minute, second after second. And we can automate a lot of that. You know, it talks about things like simplifying payer products and offering a clear explanation of benefits of the EOBs, of course. And we've all been talking about that for a long time. And talks about concepts like gold carding, which Dave, I would think you would actually like the gold carding kind of concepts. So I think there are a lot of great concepts in here. And if an entrepreneur sees this and can start to understand it, and they're not from healthcare or they're from healthcare, but not quite familiar with some of this, there could be some good innovation that comes out of it. But like Dave, what I don't love about the report is what it doesn't say. It doesn't talk about the massive savings from drug costs and how we go about doing that. And can the government play a bigger role? It doesn't talk about the power of transparency and how it could alone drive a massive, massive shift in market. It instead talks about this narrow sliver of opportunity that is left largely to the private markets instead of government intervention, which you know takes two to tango in this industry. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Yeah, eating an elephant starts with one bite, right? Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments? <laughs> well, I'm glad that we're we're sparring a little bit this morning. Everything Julie said is, is spot on. And obviously, there are enormous opportunities to improve the efficiency of the current system. It's just, I think, what would improve the current system more than anything else would be, for example, a bundled price for a joint replacement surgery. Here's what it's going to cost. And everybody can understand that. And then you got to go figure out how to make it work within that bundled price if you're the provider. Likewise, with a lot of the insurance complexity, if we just get down to basic value-oriented services, we can do so much more. I bet there is one thing Julie and I are going to agree about, though, and that's that McKinsey is going to make a fortune helping industry incumbents develop better administrative capabilities. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. Bingo. Yeah. You know, but as I look at it, Unfortunately, all this money and effort will do little or nothing, probably little, (laughs) it'll do a little to deliver the kinder, smarter, and more affordable care that the American people want and need. More of the same fragmented health care gets us more of the same substandard outcomes. So I'm back to the glass is half empty and filled with arsenic. And I just really want us to focus on value all day, all on, all day, every day. Got it. It's good to have you back, Dave. (laughs) Now let's talk about who would benefit 
other than McKinsey, from what the report is recommending. Julie, does this report align with the digital health solutions being developed by startups and entrepreneurs? You mentioned automation. Or are startups and entrepreneurs missing these targets? Well, that's kind of a complicated answer, too. There are hundreds of early stage companies focused on many of these opportunities, many of which are also focused on what I would call the holy grail of healthcare. And by the holy grail, I mean, how many times have we heard about getting the right information to the right place at the right time under the complete control of person in a fully consented way, accessible on personal devices? I mean, we're doing a lot in this industry right now on an entrepreneurial level that is really taking us light years ahead of some of these problems today. And that's a good thing. We need innovation at all levels. But, you know, I'm not so sure that we have entrepreneurs covering everything that McKinsey would say here. So let's talk about some entrepreneurs that are actually doing some of these things. Using AI to drive administrative efficiencies, a company called Olive is certainly doing that. And they're getting into some really interesting areas, not just in health systems, but now working with health plans and automating a lot around prior auth. This report also talks about back office automation in industry agnostic ways. And we know that privacy and security is a huge issue for every company on this planet. And there are companies like Pretennis that are taking a very kind of healthcare specific approach, analytics and AI driven to manage how healthcare data is being used and help management better understand where there are breaches and things like that. And that's an important management tool. If you talk about facilitating payments across the system, we have a whole social determinants effort happening in this country, right? When you look at a company like Unite Us that's trying to not only manage referrals to non-healthcare providers, you know, post-acute, in the social arena, they try to close those referrals. Now they're also affording payment for those services and managing all of that. That's a huge efficiency if you think about the extension into the social determinants. So that's a huge administrative savings there, or I'm not sure it's a savings, but it's certainly <laughs> helpful. And then if you think about all, I mean, there's so many examples of companies that are trying to automate the way that we as people get into a provider, get into a health system, whether that's online scheduling or managing patient experience, companies like Kairos and Dexcare and Vital and so many out there have been doing that. Companies like Memora who are um, connecting what's happening in specific service lines to the texting of patients uh, to really help facilitate longitudinal care. There's a bunch of examples of how we're really trying to engage the patient in this. So Yes, I guess my answer is I think there are a lot of companies that are playing in these niche spaces and are trying to build big businesses out of it. And 10 years ago, Dave, I think we would have called a lot of these feature function companies. Today, I think they're actually building real businesses just because of the opportunity that the digitization data has actually afforded us now. That's great. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, it sounds like the report could be a roadmap for disruptors. Dave, if a payer or provider executive reads this report, will it bring a smile to their face or will it make them frown? And what's your take on the market winners and losers from what the report's recommending? There's an old joke that consultants borrow your watch to tell you what time it is. In that spirit, I imagine that most health system executives will embrace the McKinsey report, many with enthusiasm. And why not? It's so alluring. You can keep doing what you're doing and find a few more basis points of margins. 
Who wouldn't want that? And with hospital profit margins under such pressure, that relief will be very welcome indeed. Any relief they find, however, will be temporary. Incremental improvements on a broken chassis may make the car run a little longer, but it's still headed for the junkyard. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about with a story I recently heard about the efforts of a mid-sized health system to reduce unnecessary orthopedic surgeries. They realized they needed to do this to avoid penalties. So a good outcome, you would think, except many of the senior team at the health system wanted to keep the ortho surgeons busy and make up lost volume with commercial patients. In that managerial mindset, it's okay to cut open commercial patients unnecessarily if it avoids penalties and keeps the surgeons busy. How's that for putting patients first? In terms of winners and losers, there aren't any big losers. That's the beauty of this McKinsey approach. It won't alienate anybody. Who doesn't want more efficient administrative procedures? As I referenced earlier, though, the big winners will be consulting companies like McKinsey that will get new engagements and feed their insatiable need for new revenues. Administrative streamlining and revenue cycle management are the two areas of fee-for-service medicine that never lack for improvement. Armies of consultants always step in to help their clients capture higher profits, even as the overall system becomes more bloated and cumbersome. I'll be more impressed when McKinsey uses its raw brain power, which there is considerable, and analytics, which there is also considerable, to develop reports that give incumbents a clear roadmap on how to get from volume land to value land. But I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And I've got to stay out of that hospital you talked about. <laughs> Dave's on a roll today. <laughs> the only thing I'd say is that what I am witnessing, or I guess have witnessed with some entrepreneurs, is that those who have really developed a better mousetrap or just any mousetrap to really push value-based care, managing bundles, you know, technology systems that are managing risk-based contracts, they are making a market. And it's hard. <laughs> if you look at what Evelyn did and Evelyn's story, it's not all peaches and roses and lovely, lovely things. Other companies like Avra out there, I think really pushing hard to make a market here. And if you think about what's happening at all these conferences now and has been for decades, the headlines are amazing. The headlines are we need to move to risk base. What's happening in the smaller discussions in the hallways or what's happening back at home doesn't quite reflect that. So while Dave is absolutely right, you're not seeing a ton of entrepreneurs start to really serve the market Dave's talking about. Thanks, Julie. I'm in favor of anything that makes my interactions with the healthcare system simpler, more convenient, and cheaper. We'll see if anyone acts on the report or the report ends up on a shelf or in an email folder never to be seen again, like a lot of these reports. Now let's talk briefly about other big healthcare news that happened recently. Julie, what other news got your attention and why? Well, this past week was a big week for M&A activity, the likes of 23andMe buying lemonade. And I saw a funny comment on Twitter about how one thing they all had in common was that this is just a fat and happy market where people have to figure out how to spend their money and they're spending it on you know slightly left of center or odd acquisitions. And the comment really struck me because I thought to myself, gosh, this is the time when larger companies like 23andMe do have the money to think big and actually try to do something really different with the asset that they've built. So 
I just want to tell the hater, stop hating for a while. Let's see if we can do something here. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Interesting. <laughs> Dave, what other recent big healthcare story have we not talked about? Well, Julie mentioned there aren't enough startup companies that are pursuing value-based contracting in a big way. One of them that is, is Babylon, and they've had a couple of epic weeks. First, they inked a collaboration agreement with Microsoft to use their combined Microsoft and Babylon's AI, ML, and cloud technologies to improve the accessibility, affordability, and quality of healthcare. Secondly, they went public last Friday amid much hoopla and fanfare, another spectacular success story. So look for Babylon to continue its impressive growth and advance the digital health revolution as it's positioning ever more to do full risk contracting. I'm going to steal that spectacular line, Dave. So just (laughs) feel free. I'll pay you some royalties there. Thank you. Uh, For me, it was the FDA proposing to allow hearing aids to be sold over the counter. I think that would take power away from audiologists and give it to consumers. And then anytime that happens, that's good. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discuss, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now radio network, iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.